Welcome to the Denver United podcast series on leadership in every season. Our hope is to equip you to be the hands and feet and voice of Jesus in our city. Hello, Denver United, and welcome to another episode of our podcast series, Clunky Conversations on Unity and Race. George, thanks for joining me. How was your Memorial Day weekend? Man, it was fantastic. I don't know what every day feels the same, sort of right now, So, I get to, but it was good not to be able to, not to have any work to do and just sort of hang out with family. It was great. What about you? Yeah, really nice. It, everything's taken a slightly different tone during this season. Um, but loving the family time and uh, loving this conversation. It's yeah. been uh, stretching and, and rewarding in some unexpected ways. You did such a great job on Sunday. And I want to begin this discussion where you left off by following up on Sunday's message. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges to talking about justice and race in our collective pursuit of unity as the body of Christ is this individuality around bias. And when we address the race conversation, so many in the majority, I think, immediately respond with this instinctive, but I'm not biased. I'm not a racist. I genuinely don't feel it. And so as soon as that just defense is erected, then there's no entry into the conversation at all. And I loved the concept that we can be personally not guilty and collectively still responsible. And so to start with, with mourning, with lamenting and, and, and understanding or seeking to understand that broader narrative, even if we're not on the hook personally, uh, I think is such a powerful next step. Yeah, I think, uh, th and thank you for, uh, by, for that, by the way. I appreciate it. It was uh, a tough message to do, one that was a lot of fun, but ho hopefully it was helpful and God spoke to people through it. But um, I think that, yeah, that was one of the things I stumbled upon just, just over the years. It's one of the things you don't notice until you finally look back and notice that it's been there the whole time is uh, it could just be our thing as Westerners maybe, of, of just an over individualistic frame for how we view everything. Um, but, but yeah, it just seems like the distinction of uh, for, from an individual fault to a corporate, more uh, systemic collective thing is something that we get caught up on all the time. And, um, and yeah, I think that's the, that's the first step when you bring up a collective sin or, or a, a collective wrong, the first thing that we have, and this, so many of my friends I've had this conversation with, it's like, but, but I, we just quickly make it about ourselves. I do the exact same thing. And uh, any if we can get past our individual fault, our individual um, uh, culpability in some way, we can maybe at least enter in. Yeah. But the thing is, is sometimes, sometimes, and we talked about this with uh, with uh, Pastor Mari at the end, is sometimes we think the gap is is only present out there. But then sometimes we face that like, oh, wow, I might actually have a little bit of that in me that I either didn't know about or just pushed down or right. whatever, you know? Right. So that's the trick, right? In this conversation. I mean, it would be subtle and it would be challenging if there were no just individual culpability to dole out, right? If it were only at this point, if we had squeezed out, if we had refined all of the individuals among us such that the 
the only responsibility was this was this subtle implicit societal responsibility that we're going to talk about here in a few moments then we could at least singularly focus but the fact is that there is still individual culpability that we see you know on the news because everyone's carrying a cell phone with a camera or that we discover like Mari shared on Sunday in ourselves buried away in a pocket that we didn't know until we knew right and so the presence of even if in fits and spurts irregularly uh, of individual culpability makes getting to this societal realm of responsibility even trickier so for the sake of our discussion today uh, let's let's move past the individual culpability with the giant disclaimer that there is plenty and we want to still keep searching that out you know i love what scripture says not about uh, racial bias, but about humanity, which is that this is true of all of us. If if anyone uh, claims to be without sin, he's a liar and the truth isn't in him. But yeah. if we just get real, humble ourselves and confess our sin, Jesus is faithful and just. He forgives us our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He brings healing and redemption, right? So mm. um, the the idea is let's not try to bifurcate maybe and and put ourselves on the innocent side let's continue the soul search in keeping with the overall soul search of the holy spirit's renewal of us and now as pertains to the the subject of race and justice and the disunity that we've perhaps unwittingly fostered and let's keep that work going but move it to the to the background yeah. and bring to the front on our desktop a subtler societal level mm. that's so good all right so um here's what we're saying there is in addition to individual culpability or individual felt bias around race, a societal realm of bias that exists and I would suggest influences us, not us white people, but us humankind, Americans, let's talk about, right? Irrespective of our personal state of felt bias. In other words, I could be, uh, I could have done the hard work of unearthing any personal bias and still be tacitly party yeah. to this organizational, cultural, or, or in institutional bias. Let's call it implicit bias. Actually, we're not calling it that. That's what it's called. <laughs> Sociologists have already settled on implicit bias. What I want to do, though, is unpack this concept for the next few minutes of implicit bias. This is, I think, the hardest frontier to cross, at least for many in the majority in, in society, with regard to entering the, the discussion of justice around race. Um, because I can have it all right personally, let's just say in theory, and still be party to a bigger wrong. And that's that's nebulous. It's trippy. It's uncomfortable. What yeah. do you think about that? Do you buy yeah, it? I, as you were talking about that, I, I just, you know, I think any any collective bias that exists is is made up by individuals, right? <laughs> like the, without individuals, there is no collective anything. Sure. So so those biases is biases get formed by various individuals many of whom are dead but it still is it still exists in the 
in the ether, right? But when you were talking about it, I just had this idea or this realization that my my implicit internal biases can bypass my will to have them, yeah. right? It's not like, it's not, it's a lot of times when you're forced to see that, you're like, well, yeah. well I don't, I don't want to have that. But the bias doesn't care what you want. The it bias wants what it wants. The bias wants what it wants. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't speak as a, as a scientist or anything like that. I, I am married to one. So I have this weird thing on the inside of me where I feel like I can speak on it, but I, I probably still shouldn't, but I will. Um, you yeah, know, you, you kind of sound like Dr. Science on people. Right. I have a master's degree. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> like, I think as human beings though, we're, we're sort of, we're pattern making and recognizing machines. Like we learn how to, Mm-hmm. to recognize patterns and adapt to what we've experienced, right? So if at some point something happened to an individual, it's, it, they, they recognize that pattern and they start to modify their behaviors. And, and we learn these things at such an early age, even if we don't mean to, or even if we didn't want to learn them, they just, their individuals' experiences and opinions just are, they get baked into us, man. Yeah. And like, and I think that's that, that might be one of the hardest parts of facing those internal yeah. biases within us is recognizing that it has nothing to do with will or yeah. desire. Yeah. They can be present contrary to my will or desire. You know, like I, I saw a quote this week that had something about uh, said something about being anti-racist doesn't mean that you don't have some racism in you. It means that you're committed to fighting that at any stage that you see it in someone right. else or in myself. And it's like it doesn't have to it doesn't have to do with will. Right. So what I hear you saying, it, it, it gets baked into us because it is baked into our culture, right? Yes. Into our, our group of humanity's way of doing stuff in our lap around the track, mm-hmm. whether we chose it or not. And um, becoming aware of that takes courage. It takes effort, right? Because especially uh, for many in the majority, we don't have to. Like society, the way things play out doesn't force us to. We're going to talk about that next episode, that in, that in effect, that privilege of not having to know. But first, I want to pull this puzzle apart around implicit bias and really help get our minds around it. Um, I think to do that, I want to just for a moment, if you'll go with me, I want to separate the notion of implicit bias at its broadest level from the discussion around race and justice. Let's just talk about implicit bias as a psychological and sociological phenomenon. Sociology basically being collective psychology, right? The psychology of us, where um, psychology proper talks about the psychology of me. Uh, So sociologists talk about implicit bias not just with regard to race. Implicit bias is this phenomenon. Phenomenon. It's a human phenomenon that um, race sort of um, latches onto because it's a particularly, or racism, a particularly noxious weed. Um, I heard a TED talk, George, and the, the, the presenter um, opened it this way. And just give me a little attitude here, right? He says, um, there's, there's, a, there's, there's a grandpa fish and uh, a, a teenage young man fish. And they're both swimming and living in the ocean, right? And the grandpa fish um, swims up to his grandson one day. And he says, morning, son. How's the water today? And his know-it-all teenage grandson says, what the hell's water? <laughs> right? And so the idea is, it's all you've known. 
Uh, a fish lives in water and should know that, except that it's never known anything else. Like, we don't know what not breathing oxygen feels like. Most of us who haven't been to outer space, right? So um, that's our environment. You know, those who are raised in a, in a polluted urban environment, like if you're raised in, in Beijing, um, you don't know not pollution. You don't know fr fresh air. I've heard it said, I don't know if this is true, that um, there's no word for cold in the Eskimo culture because that's yeah. all it is. It's all they know. Right. It just is, yeah. It's just normal. It just is. I, I experienced implicit bias firsthand for the first time, or at least that I was aware of, um, when as a, as a young pastor, I took admissions team to Thailand. Um, and we spent a couple of days in Bangkok where, um, where the food, which was on one hand so tasty, also waged siege on my taste buds. <laughs> I, I'm Irish mostly and you know there's not a lot of spicy food in my heritage right like corned beef and cabbage is the fare salt was spicy to my ancestors so I don't have a lot of built up um, spice tolerance so I go to Bangkok and all it is is everything spicy breakfast lunch dinner it's just my mouth is on fire so I try to order get this and I ask the server hey I loved that that I had yesterday but could I have it less you know spicy and she's like I don't understand and I and they speak English because it's a major cosmopolitan city so but I'm trying to translate I'm like you know like I want it not as hot and she's like do you want it cold I'm like no I want it like not not as much spice and she's like you want it bland like no, I ah, my mouth is on fire. But there was no concept for it because that was all they knew. There was uh, in effect an implicit. Yes, yeah, I've heard that that same quote or a quote similar that says familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Like the more close we are to something, the in a weird way, the less familiar we get with the thing that we're close to. Right, and fish and water is the perfect example. All of us have something that we're so familiar with that we don't even notice it. I think another way I've seen that play out for me has to do with in, uh, in the context of relationships and marriage, how all of us, um, or I'd say the vast, vast majority of us, right, are brought up in some sort of a familial context, whether we're raised by our parents or grandparents or an uncle or whoever, we were raised in a family and that family had a certain way of doing things that you don't notice the way you do things until you're with someone else who does something differently, right? You know, like, so, right. Christy and I first got married, that's when we started to to realize like, I have in my picture, a, 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 in my mind, a picture of what Christmas is and how it's done. And I didn't even notice it until her family did it completely differently. And then you you look at like, oh, like I, I didn't even know I had that, that baked into me, into me, my expectations on how things should work and how things are. You don't even notice it, but totally. I, I think Another helpful way of maybe of looking at these biases that we have, I think sometimes we look at them as very large um, elephant in the room type of biases. But I think it I think it's more subtle, man. Like, I, I don't know much about, you know, uh, designing systems as far as like on a, on a city level with roads and slopes. But I, <laughs> I remember, you know, when you come down from the mountains and you see those signs that say, like, you know, you have a six percent grade ahead, you know, yep. and it and it it feels like you're going straight downhill, but it's only like 6%. Right. It's very small. And even like 
so you even if you had a one percent grade you probably wouldn't even notice it um right. looking at it but it's powerful enough to tilt everything that you do down that way you know like i think our biases are that way wow. they they feel small and subtle and like it's, it's 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 not a big thing but they're powerful they tilt your whole being and your whole way of seeing things in a certain wow, way. that's such a that's such a, a a great metaphor for understanding how implicit bias works you know one more instance of implicit bias water uh for a fish is a is a you know frivolous one uh in actual um life th that to your point isn't terribly noxious it's not an assault on my soul it just is and that yeah. is i'm left-handed hello the majority of our culture is right-handed <laughs> most right-handed people oh, that's a good point are completely unaware that american culture is right-handed Wow. Left-handed people, every one of us know this. And I don't mean to put myself in a victim's plight that in any way equates to uh, your plight as an African-American. So please no, I get it. Um, don't, don't hear that. Just hear that this is implicit bias, right? Like um, kitchen appliances, you know, um, the, the scissors are right-handed. The lower, because the lower part has the part for your... Right. Yeah. If you try to cut with scissors with your left hand, it folds the paper. Oh, I never noticed the that. Can opener is right handed. Try flipping it upside down. You gotta flip the can upside down. But you know what uh, happens? As soon as the top comes open, the the juice that the beans are in starts spilling all over the counter, right? So you gotta do it right handed. Uh, like mug coffee mugs. Uh, uh, so I have I have this novelty um Star Wars coffee mug. It's in the shape of the head of Darth Vader, right? For me to drink out of it, though, I either drink with my right hand, where Darth Vader's face with his ma his pokey mask protrudes outward, or I drink with my left hand, which I would naturally do, and I, I, I get assaulted by Darth Vader's apparatus when I'm trying to drink my coffee, and then it dribbles down my face. The point is, our culture's, culture's right-handed, wow. and most right-handed people don't, ha don't think about it because they don't have to. Wow. All of us left-handed people joke about it and know it man i <laughs> i never yeah that's it though man i never and again i'm i'm i know you're not equating things but the, but the truth behind them is the same is that as a right-handed person uh there's certain things that i just don't have to think about i don't have to notice because my coffee mug that i'm drinking out of right now has a clever uh uh pun on the front that says Freudian sips, you know, like you get it like slips, wow. but I hold it with my right hand and it's right there. It faces me and I can see it and enjoy it as I drink my coffee. But that's, that's the point. So I think when we, when we talk about, you know, some of the um, more weighty issues of, of which race is one injustice, you know, that, that's, that's one of those weightier issues. It might help us to disarm our, you know, our defense systems a little bit by, by, by seeing it play out in other ways that are less, um <laughs> where the stakes are lower like right-handedness can we admit that that these type of biases exist not just externally but within ourselves yeah um, yeah you want to take it up one notch of intensity or five um both of us are married to wonderful uh capable um professional women they would understand the concept of implicit bias without 15 minutes of our bloviating on a podcast absolutely right that's the, yeah you know that that's that's one that's huge that so many uh so many men aren't faced to to 
to force that reality. I mean, yeah. my mom, for example, um, I don't know if she'd be mad if I'm telling the story, but here we are. We're doing it. Um, <laughs> she, I won't she, tell her. <laughs> oh, whatever. She, uh, she uh, 20, 25, 30 years ago, she uh, worked in engineering. She was a radio frequency engineer. And um, I'm black, for those who don't know. Um, so my mom is also black. black. So, but, but in that case, being a woman, especially in that field, she was like, she realized that she was going against not just race, but just that gender piece. Right. And it was faced to, to, to realize this whole, at least at that time, I don't know if it's still the same, hopefully we've improved, but that water that she got thrown into was, was male. Right. Primarily. And no one noticed it. Right. Except her. <laughs> you know what I mean? She All the ways that the so system was built. Yeah. She's facing a, a second set of challenges in addition to those that every male engineer is facing. My my family watched the movie Hidden Figures uh, mm. a few weeks ago, and we were we were discussing afterward the double challenge or the triple challenge that uh, African American women doing mm. ultra advanced um, mathematics for like rocket telemetry um, in the what 60s faced. Uh, I mean, rocket telemetry is challenging on its own. But <laughs> uh, no. an African-American and a woman, you know, people assumed that they were there to be the typists or the secretaries. And, and that, that's, uh, that reflects a, a more painful implicit bias. Now, let's bring the conversation fully back to race and justice and the, the mandate and privilege we as God's people have to contend for unity. How, how does... Im how does implicit bias begin to shape the way we collectively think about race? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think it happens in a very real way, right? To where you just, if, if there is something in us when it comes to race that, that attempts to shift the grade by a, a percent or two when it comes to a certain group of people, we can take maybe one experience that we've seen or, or been exposed to and start to make very vast judgments about the way, quote, those people are, right? right? Even if we're not race, even, even if there's, quote, not a racist bone in our body, we might start to say things like, well, you know, black, you know, black people just do more, you know, they commit more violent crimes, right? <laughs> Maybe there's a bias in us that thinks that that just by and again, I don't have anything against black people or anything like that. But, you know, they just they do more drugs, which is why they get convicted right. more and go to prison like that. That can reflect it. the broader and more complex questions of why, the, you know, you could defend some uh, some uh, under informed notion like that with statistics. But all the statistics report is what happened in our in our lap around the track and that sort of implicit right. bias. Um, that, that correlates the color of someone's skin to their proclivity for crime uh, keeps us from examining and, and, and trying to understand and then trying to bring justice to a larger, more complex system that results in those statistics. And that's just the hardest part, Rob, I think, is that all of us have opinions on everything. Like <laughs> everyone has, an, I have opinions on everything. So do you. But it's, it's facing that reality that, man, I, it's likely that that most of my opinions are influenced by an internal bias that I have. 
an implicit right. bias that's operating beneath the surface that I don't even know is is going on. And in yeah. facing that's difficult. And I think about what Jesus said when he talked about how he said, I, you know, I came to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they see that they're actually blind. Huh. So <laughs> like if we admit to ourselves that we're blind, then I think the gospel says that's where Jesus comes in and says, hey, that's the person I came to reach and came yes. to, to transform. So yeah. there's so many tools out there. I came across a, a website that was from some uh, uh, study. I wish I had it to reference, but I'm sure you can find it if you just search it. There's an implicit bias uh, uh test you can take for so many different areas where you just simply click it and it asks you a bunch of questions and it will helps reveal to you like man where are some hidden biases that i have towards this group or this group or this group there's so many but it's helpful it's really hard to engage that to say like i might be blind to what's operating in the background of my subconscious like but but if i can lean into that i think that's the spot where uh transformation can occur so right. that's a good thing to try. Just george to along with that i am not helpless I am not a victim of my culture. I have personal power over my consciousness, right? Because it was always that way and that was painted as normal doesn't mean I have to play along passively. I have a choice, but that choice requires me to swim against the current sometimes. Before we go, let's 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 unpack one practical example to bring this home. Um, and I want to talk about what you and Mari discussed on Sunday. I love that conversation, both because of the modeling. Your two, um, your friends and colleagues, and I happen to know you guys have a great relationship. But from the to the naked eye, you're from different um, sectors of society, right? She's older. You're younger. Uh, she's female. You're male. She's white. You're black. Okay, so yeah. the conversation that you modeled. Uh, and the careful walking through that delicate garden, uh, I think was really extraordinary. Mari, I was so proud of her. She shared something that right. kind of put a target on her back, something that was pretty vulnerable, but something that frankly I, I have experienced. And I, I, I dare say many white people uh, have experienced, which is uh, when she stood up, at, maybe not standing in front of 4,000 people, but uh, when she talked about um, presenting in the chapel at her Christian college and describing in her mission trip that they were doing something that was good work for the poor or whatever, but didn't have anything to do with race. And in that conversation, she said that they that a tall black man approached and that afterwards she experienced some tension um, from from friends uh, of color. And somebody explained to her that, that that was uncomfortable or even offensive that she pointed out his race in a conversation in which race was impertinent. And, right, and, and she didn't point out the races of the other people in the story. I think it was just implied that they were, or, or maybe the, the left, the, the, the felt implication was that they were white or whatever. Um, so why point that out? Why single somebody out for his or her race um, when, when the race wasn't the point? That's an, there is, maybe I'll ask this in the form of a question because George, I've had that experience and sure. oblivious to the fact that talking with other white people, nobody's going to experience that as, um, as containing bias, but oblivious to the fact that that would be off-putting or divisive. Um, do you sense yeah, yeah. bias in that experience? I think that's what it is. I think that's a perfect example of what it is. And I think when she first told me that story some time ago, I have to admit my first, when she said that, my first reaction was trying to figure out where she was going with the story. I was like, all right, 
were people mad that you said black instead of African-American? Like, I didn't know where my, my first instinct was to try to locate the offense, you know, like what she right. did wrong. But then when she explained that, I'm like, okay, I see where they're going. And I think that's the point where it, it wasn't necessarily that what she said was offensive, you know, to call someone a tall black man if he was in fact a tall black man. Like that's totally, like to me, I'm like, that's totally fine. But the, it's the uncovering of the implicit bias to say, why did I say that when I didn't say something else? Right. That's the nuance of the conversation to say, well, why didn't do anything wrong? I, I, I said he was a tall black. No, no one's talking about that. Like, that's totally fine. But why didn't you label anyone else by their race? It's 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 those types of very uncomfortable conversations in realities that you're forced to go into to say, all right, there's there's something there. Um, yeah. And I think that's exactly what it looks like. It's not necessarily something that's wrong. Sorry, but it's a why did I say that? Yeah, that's so good. I'm so sorry I jumped in. I thought you were stopping, and then I got caught in the interrupt. Oh, you're good. And here we are. Go ahead. What were we going to yeah, say? Well, did in, in uh, on that note, did you see the news yesterday? A woman, uh, a white woman in Central Park, caught on tape. Um, yes, yeah, this morning. Reporting a a black, an African American man who was threatening her and her dog. Uh, when witnesses said that he was simply asking her and respectfully to put her dog on a leash according to the law that they all yes, followed, this right? but the 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 call was intended to um it seemed it felt like it was intended yeah. to cast aspersion or awaken a shared sense of implicit concern that might be heightened by the fact that the person that gave her yeah. uh alarm was african-american that's exact i mean I, I saw the video i don't want to speak on it too much but I, like that's exactly what that was it was like yeah. hey there's a black guy coming at me and when mari with mari's thing it was nothing like that it, she's just sharing a story in the details so it's just in no way are those two people similar at all to me mari and that lady similar but in i think the sense that they're examples in different realms of perhaps yep. bias yeah exactly so i think the, those are the, the and, and again this is not just you know uh, in my opinion, white people that have these biases, yeah. um, that have those things that they have to examine and ask like, Hey, why did I say that? Yeah. Um, we all have it. And I think it's part of the job is, um, uh, just as human beings, as Americans, but more so as, as followers of Jesus to say, where are the places that I'm blind? And, and, and I think that's, a, that's the space where Jesus rushes in and wants to flood and shine light mm. on those dark places in our soul that say like, we have stuff operating that we don't even know about. And I think we want to invite Jesus into those spaces to shine light on it. Um, I think that's our call. Amen. I want to keep going in this conversation, but we'll get on in the next episode later in the week to uh, one way that this plays out. Uh, something particularly challenging about implicit bias is that it is inequitably realized or experienced. It's, it's experienced at the felt level um, in some ways as a function of the necessity of our experience you know we we some of us don't experience it as much as others maybe or aren't aware that we are that we are participating in implicit bias maybe because we have the luxury of not having to know right Gosh. uh and so there's a there's a, an intrinsic privilege in that that's what i want to get into uh in our next episode but for now it's time for us to go thank you all for being with us uh and engaging this clunky and courageous conversation together this is as you said what it means to be the body of christ shining light into every 
corner of darkness. George, will you uh, close us with a George prayer and then we'll get out of here? Absolutely. That's my favorite kind. Holy Spirit, would you shine light on the dark places in our soul? God, we admit we're blind. Will you help us see? In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Love you, brother. Love you all. God bless you, and we'll talk to you next time.